Hey, in the immortal words of Judy Brown, happiness is a choice, and we're happy. You're joining Chip and Zay right here on the Midday, Texas Sports Unfiltered. Without further ado, let's bring in the man, the father of one Zay Collier, the one and only Coach Collier, um, whose friends, Cece. Coach, how you doing? I'm great today, guys. How are y'all doing today? Man, I'm doing I'm doing great. I'm about to learn some stuff. <laughs> I'm excited sure about you, this. You sure you're going to the right teacher? Sure. Okay, we'll see. What's up, Coach? I see you got the Southwest Texas in the background. You got the Texas Station. Oh, on. man, yeah. You know, got to support. Got to support. Great day to be a Bobcat, guys. Great day to be a Bobcat. Yeah, so take us uh, take us back to to your days at uh, it, you know now it's Texas State, but Southwest Texas. Um, what was the young coach Collier like in college? You know, at the time I got the job uh, as the head coach there, I was the youngest Division One coach in the country. And uh, I told this on, I told this to Isaiah on his show when he was with the Horn. Uh, you know, I got that job. I couldn't turn it down, but I wasn't ready for that job. You know, uh, I was only a high school coach for three, four years uh, before I became the head coach at, uh, at uh, Southwest Texas. And so it was a great honor to, 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 to coach at my university. Was I ready? No but I wasn't going to turn that down. You know, those opportunities don't come along uh, quite often. And uh, I was excited about it. Young, strong headed coach, you know, don't take the bull by the horn, but I learned a lot. I learned a lot and I don't regret it. And uh, I had other, other opportunities to get back into, uh, into the college ranks, but uh, you know, I had uh, two little knucklehead boys at the house and a daughter and uh, you know, if on that level, man, you, you're going to be gone all the time. When I was at uh, Southwest Texas as a head coach, uh, I was always, you know, I may be on the East Coast one minute, on the West Coast the next minute, you know, recruiting, traveling, uh, summertime, uh, you know. So family life uh, took the back burner a little bit. But, you know, it was a great experience for me. And, uh, you know, I'm glad I did it. And, uh, you know. Here I am today, you know, retired 43 years later, enjoying life, sitting out on my back porch. Uh, so, uh, yeah, life's good. Well, how did the Bowie Bulldogs head coaching job, you know, talk about how that, you know, opportunity came and how it changed your life? Well, uh, before I got the Bowie job, I was at uh, San Marcos. I was at the high school. And so I coached at San Marcos High School for three or four years and uh, uh, had a great experience there. You know, I, I, we, had a, we had a great ball club. We uh, went to the regional finals. Uh, at that time, I think 4A was the highest classification. And we were 4A at the time. And we got we were one game from going to state. We got beat by Sam Houston. And uh, my starting post guy uh, in the semifinal game sprained his ankle. But we went on and won that game. And uh, we went on and played Sam Houston in the finals, and they had four Division One players. And so we ended up losing, I don't know, 12 or 14 against them. I think it would have been a little bit of a different ball game if, uh, 
if uh, my post guy, I'm not saying we'd have won it, but I'm saying I think it would have been a different game, would have had a chance. And uh, But he sprained his ankle, and uh, we missed out there. And so uh, – That was Big Nate, right? No, no, that was uh, Rob Thomas and uh, okay. Sandy Coleman and all those guys. Had a little point guard by the name of Daryl Derryberry. Uh, his dad was the head coach at uh, Southwest Texas at the time, and that's the guy who hired me uh, to come to Southwest Texas. But uh, I had a little guard by the name of Daryl Derryberry who was absolutely the truth. Uh, he, he could play. And so, uh, he, you know, we rode his back. We were 33-3 and three, uh, that year, had a great had a great team, had a great run. And so, uh, but anyway, yeah, uh, so I started off at San Marcos High School. And uh, uh, the next year, Dal Derryberry coach hired me uh, to be his assistant uh, over at uh, Southwest Texas. And then the following year, he got, he got sick and uh, – uh, they named me the head coach, and so uh, I was there for a while. And, and then I went back to St. Marcus High School, and that's when I coached Big Nate, who went to Notre Dame. But by the way, let's back up a little bit. Talk about Daryl one step before we go on. Uh, Daryl Derryberry ended up playing baseball at Texas for a year, and uh, uh, he left Texas because he wanted to play basketball. So I tried to sign him at Texas State back at Southwest Texas, and uh, – uh, he ended up playing because he wanted to go to law school. So he ended up going to St. Mary's and played at St. Mary's university and got his law degree and, and everything. But, uh, after I left, uh, Southwest Texas, I went back to St. Marcus high school. And, uh, uh, that's when I coached, uh, big Nate that Isaiah was talking about, uh, six ten kid who, uh, played for, uh, Notre Dame and, uh, uh, stayed there for one year and then Notre Dame lost their coach Digger, I think was the coach at the time. And, uh, he retired. And so Nate came back to Austin and lived with us for, uh, the summer and end up going to play for, uh, I think coach Penders at, uh, at the uh, university of Texas. So we ended up finishing up at the university of Texas. And, uh, so I, I left Texas state. Southwest Texas, when went back to San Marcos High School, stayed there till '91, and uh, a coach by the name of Tommy Cox, who used to be uh, the head coach, football coach at at Bowie, and went on to became the athletic director for AISD. Great man, great leader of men. Uh, you know, I learned a lot from that guy. But uh, he ended up hiring me at, at Bowie back in '91, and uh, the rest is history. I stayed at Bowie for 31 years of my 43 years. So, yeah. Well, and you had a, you had a kid named Isaiah Collier come through there. What, what, what was that like? <laughs> well, you know, before, before Isaiah, I coached my, my oldest son, Brandon, Brandon Collier. And, uh, you know, uh, it's not easy coaching your kids, uh, you know, because you want them to do well. Uh, you want to make sure that you coach them hard, uh, that other people don't think they, they're getting a, a free pass. And uh, so it was fun. I wouldn't trade that for nothing in the world. They have an opportunity to, to coach both of my boys. I, I turned down uh, uh, coaching at Baylor uh, University so I could coach both of my kids. And uh, uh, before Baylor, though, I got an offer from Sam Houston, Larry Brown, uh, 
good guy, and and uh, he was at uh, Bryan High School, and Larry's been around, well known, and got the job at Sam Houston, and asked me would I come down there, and and uh, I did not. I turned that down, and and then uh, of course Harry Miller, who me and him go way back, is a great great friend, and he uh, called me up and asked me would I come down, and so I went down and visit Baylor. Uh, he was the head coach at Baylor, and just got the job. So uh, Harry was down there, and uh, his assistant was Billy Clyde Gillespie. Billy Clyde was one of his assistants, and Larry Brown. By the way, Billy Clyde was my graduate assistant coach at Southwest Texas. So I wow. knew that staff, I knew that staff down there, and uh, so uh, yeah, I, I I I thought about it. Took my wife with me. Uh, they offered her a job at Baylor, and so we were set up. And uh, he said, I need to know something real quick, whether you're going to take this job. I need to know by the next day. So I'm driving back from Waco. We didn't had a long day at Waco. And, uh, uh, you know, they showed us around and, and, and houses and, and everything. And uh, uh, I'm driving back down uh, I-35 and uh, my wife is kind of asleep over there on the side. And I'm thinking, man, I just got the buoy job not long ago, you know, and uh, I told Tommy Cox I was going to be here a while. And uh, do I really want to get back into college? And, uh, you know, little devil on my shoulder saying, yeah, take that college job, and, uh, <laughs> you know, get back into it. And, uh, but, uh, you know, I said, man, I, I, you know, if I do that, I won't get to see my kids as much. And, and that was just not an option at the time. So I ended up calling up Baylor and telling Harry, Hey man, I'm, I'm not going to come back. And that was a tough job. I mean, that was hard to do because Harry's a good friend and uh, it would have been a fun staff with, with Harry, uh, Billy Gillespie. And, and uh, of course, Larry Brown was on that, on that staff. Uh, he's the one that was, took the job at Sam Houston, tried to get me to Sam Houston. So I had a great staff and, uh, but, uh, I called him and he said, I understand. Uh, I said, I'll tell you what, Harry, uh, I got a great young coach. You need to interview him. I said, don't take my word for him. I said, but this guy worked for me when I was at Bowie. Uh, he's a sharp, a hard worker. He's got a great rapport with kids. He's got a great understanding of the game. He'd be a perfect fit for you. And uh, Harry said, who is that? So I told him the name. And uh, called him up, brought him down for an interview. And uh, by the way, yeah, his name was Rodney Terry. And, Rodney uh, Terry. Rodney Terry brought RT down for an interview. And so that was Rodney's first college job is at Baylor University. And uh, the rest is history. Rodney, Rodney's done a great job of, of, uh, of uh, uh, getting to the point where he's at right now. Uh, you know, we left so Baylor. Coach, the job you turned down at Baylor, you recommended Rodney Terry, and he got the he got the job. That's that's right. That's correct. Wow. Wow. That's correct. That's correct. Wow. By the way, me and Rodney, we go way back, further back than this coaches, because his dad was related to my dad, and so we kind of you know distance cousins there, and so. Uh, uh, we didn't know that until later on, start talking and, and, and stuff when he was working for me at, at Bowie. So, uh, 
yeah, RT is, is has done a great job and uh, well deserving of, of of the job where he's at right now. So, uh, yeah, Zay, you call RT like Uncle Rodney, right? <laughs> no, I never called him that. No, no, you, you were like he was like kinfolk. Yes, he is. Yeah, yeah, he is. yeah. His, his family, Ronnie's family, no yeah. doubt about it. No doubt about it. And uh, a, a great man. Uh, matter of fact, me and my wife flew out to Vegas when Rodney was at Fresno State and watched their conference tournament over at UNLV. And, and so uh, that was fun. That was fun. That was that was Rodney's uh, first head job, and so uh, we went to their conference tournament out there in Vegas. Yeah, yeah. wow. Had to get my wife out of Vegas. What? Uh, She's what? been that money slot machine. <laughs> yeah, yeah but, I mean, you kind of. Oh, go ahead, say sorry. I'm no, hogging the whole thing. Gamble. Go ahead, Joe. Yeah. So you're, uh, you know, Rodney's coaching for you in what stood out about him? You know, you mentioned it, what you said to, to Harry Miller, but, um, you know, just maybe a memory or two from your days when RT was working for you. Several things. Number one, I watched how he worked with the kids. Uh, you know, he had their attention. He had their respect. Uh, they respected him. Uh, his knowledge of the, of the game was great. And he was able to relate and, and, and that's a great trade in coaches when you're able to relate. And, uh, you know, he, um, he worked well with the parents, got along well with the parents. I called him smooth back in, in, in when he was working for me because he was so smooth the way he held things. And uh, I say, this young man has got a great future. He's got a great future. And, uh, yeah, yeah. And now well, look at John. it all oh. started with you recommending him for the job. Well, well Ronnie was Ronnie was well on his way. Uh, even even if it, if it wasn't me that recommended, he would have got there. There's no doubt about it. He had that kind of drive, and, and so uh, I'm just happy to to to, to give him that start and, and, and stuff. But you know, if I wasn't even in the picture, no matter where he went, he would have did the same thing. I mean, he just had, he's that kind of person, very personable, cares about you, you know, uh, uh, you know, that's a trait that's hard to find. And, 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 you know, had that toughness about it where, hey, I'm going to demand accountability and, and uh, uh, the kids responded to that. Yeah. So what do you think of how he's doing this year, this 2024 team? It seems like they're kind of separating themselves from the bubble, but if things go south, then they'll be right back in the bubble again. They got Kansas tomorrow. What do you think about that? Well, he's got a tough two games coming up in Kansas, and then I think he goes to Texas Tech. Is that correct? Yes. That, that's two tough games, but two winnable games, uh, you know, uh, it's been a roller coaster year a little bit for, for RT. And, uh, uh, you know, people forget that uh, uh, DeSeuss hadn't had much of an offseason. He was injured. He just came in and started playing. You know, right. uh, he, he, he set out most of the year. And, and of course, uh, uh, he lost two great players before the season ever started with the big kid out of Dallas, you know, that's playing in the G League right now. Uh, the kid that uh, was from California, if I'm not mistaken, that's uh, over in Australia playing pro ball right now. So he's lost, you know, two 
you know, put those two kids in the puzzle and it's a different ball club. It's a different ball club. And so he lost them late. So now he's scrambling, trying to find players and, and, and stuff. But give him time. Uh, you know, he's already signed a couple of good players for next year. And, uh, you know, he'll get it done. There's no doubt in my mind he'll get it done. And so, but the two games that he got coming up, they're winnable. You know, I, I, I think uh, the Longhorns are playing better defensively uh, than they did at the start of the year. And it's allowed their offense to uh, sputter a little bit, but still win a game. The other night, I didn't think they had their best game, but I thought their defense was good. And uh, they're starting, play, starting to play a little bit more connected uh, and helping each other. Uh, and uh, so if they continue to do that and get the offense going, uh, yeah, I think they'll be good. I really do. Well, I got to get us back to uh, when uh... – Isaiah <laughs> for the Bowie Bulldogs because he said, "What'd you tell me? You're most nights you were ten and five, but when you were really motivated, it was thirteen and seven. <laughs> Isaiah was very consistent when he played for me, and and, and a a player that could play multiple positions. Uh, you know." To be honest with you, and I never did this, maybe once, he could play point guard, he could play two guard, he could play three, he could play the four, and he was big enough that he could play the five at times. And so he was very, very skilled, could handle the basketball, could shoot the basketball. Uh, people don't believe this now, but he could dunk the basketball with two hands, one hand. So, uh, you know, uh, we ran a matchup zone at times and uh, a little complicated. And I haven't had many kids that could run that back spot. And Isaiah played the back spot on the matchup zone because uh, he was vocal. He communicate well. And so, uh, yeah, Isaiah was, Isaiah was a really solid high school basketball player uh, yeah. that could play a lot of different positions. Hey, what about uh, his brother, Brandon? Brandon. Brandon was quick, athletic, out of control sometimes. Uh, uh, played the point guard for me, and that was the only position that he could play. Streaky shooter, uh, a tremendous athlete, very quick, very fast. Uh, so two different kind of players. Yeah. Hey, let Chip know about the Westlake days. How personal was the Westlake games? <laughs> Very, very, very. You know, I mean, the kids would get hyped up when we got ready to play against Westlake. And, uh, you know, we had the music blasting in the gym, Rocky. You know, we that, that that's, a, that's a tradition. If you if you went to Bowie High School and played basketball, you listened to Rocky before we played Westlake. And, and it was blasting when they came out of the dressing room to get, come to practice. And, and, and it was hyped up. And uh, those were big games back during then. Big games. Isaiah played against. Tell them some of the big time players you played against, Isaiah. Um, Cody Doolin was probably the best one. He ended up going to San Francisco and UNLV. Um, who else? I don't know. I got the the quarterback for Westlake. Foles. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I didn't get Foles though. He he graduated right before I became a varsity player. Okay. But, uh, I was going to ask you which. Westlake player that became a Longhorn 
was the most difficult to prepare for, from Brad Buckman to Chris Mim. I'll even throw Luke Axtell in there, Brock Cunningham, Will Baker. You played against them all. Man, that's a tough one. I would say Brad uh, Buckman. I would say Brad. Brad was tough. Tough kid. Uh, 6'8", 6'9", could put it on the deck, could shoot it, uh, had great toughness about him, uh, very skilled, very skilled player. I would say Brad Buckman. Yeah. That's no doubt. That, I, remember, I remember Rick Barnes saying, I got to get this kid Buckman. I got to get this kid Buckman. I remember he, he was really yeah. fighting that recruiting battle. And yeah, uh, I know Barnes thought a lot of him. Yeah, I, I think uh, it was between Texas and North Carolina. Yeah. I believe it was those yep. two schools that were fighting to trying to get Brad and stuff. Brad's a great kid. Uh, you know, what a what a great, great person. And, and uh, I love Brad. Uh, we had some. We had some big games. I remember him hitting a shot in the corner and beating us at the buzzer one time. Uh, I still remember that. Yeah. But we also beat them. We also beat them. We beat Nick, Nick Foles and and uh, 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 what's the big guy named that played for the Lakers? Uh, Mim. Yeah, we beat them. Uh, we had some good teams back doing that. But they also beat us. So it, it, it was good competition. It was hey, that friendly competition. That Rocky soundtrack is the best. That's the best. That's the best ever. You and yeah. I are good. If we're going to play together, play golf in the mullet open, we're going to play the Rocky soundtrack. Oh, no question. Ain't no telling. I like to drive at 400. Yeah. Yeah. Rocky gets me popped up. Yeah. It gets me popped up. Yeah. That's the I best. I love that. That's the uh, best. Oh, I'm yes. all about that soundtrack. So, yes, so did Zay ever get thrown out of a game or we got any – any tough conversations that happen that we need to know about, you know, no, you know, no. The good stuff. No, you know, uh, I coached him hard. You know, I coached him hard. There's days when he probably said, God, buddy, what's up with dad? You know, cause I coached him just as hard as I coached all the rest of the kids and uh, maybe harder, but uh, no, no, he never got kicked out of a game. I've had any kid get kicked out of a, out of a game. And so, uh, because those consequences the next day would be way worse. Consequences would be tough, you know. Uh, you know, we, how was his free throw shooting? Good, good. Zay was skill. Zay could shoot the ball. He could go inside, outside. He could shoot the three. Zay was skill. I was just slow. Zay. I was just really slow. Yeah, that's he, it. He, 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 he wasn't a very quick young man. You notice I never used the word quickness when we talked about it. Right. That. With Brandon, it was quick. Oh, quick. With Zay's Brandon, yeah, skills. Yeah. Brandon, <laughs> very me quick. And Brandon, me and Brandon together, we be in the association right now. Yeah, we've been in the league. Been in the league. We've been in the league. So what uh, – like when Zay went off to, to Paris? Uh-huh. What was what was that like, having him go off and you know on his own? You know what? It's always scary when your kids go off and you always want them to do well. And and uh, you know they're on their own now. And uh, you know, like 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 every kid, uh, you know, all you can do is, is uh, pray for them. 
and hope they follow the right path and uh, hope they've had a, a, a good home training that they can go out and uh, be themselves and, and, and do the right thing. So, yeah, yeah, we felt good about it. And, and uh, you know, me and mom was empty nesters at that time. So, uh, uh, yeah, it was fun. It was fun. Uh, it's funny you say that. I was talking to uh, my buddy. I was down at Shipley's Donuts today. That's my hangout. Uh, my man Steve and the crew down there. So we were talking. His his son goes to uh, I think University of Colorado, and uh, uh, he's sick today and not doing good. And uh, Steve had to send him FedEx him some some uh, medicine and, and stuff. So y'all, yeah, you always worry about your kids when they go off uh, and, and stuff. But uh, you know, all three hours, you know, our daughter uh, she went to North Texas and got her degree at North Texas and got a master's at the University of Dallas and uh, all three of our kids, Brandon went to uh, Concordia and all three of them got, got his degree from there. So all three of them are doing well. So uh, hopefully uh, me and mom did a, a good job of uh, setting a good example. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I, I, uh, I, I, I wanted to pick your brain with Texas playing Kansas tomorrow. If, uh, you know, Kansas, not real deep, but they're, man, they've been so good at home this year. They're really good at home. I forgot you played against KJ, too. KJ Adams. KJ Adams, uh, <laughs> you know, back during high school, he was, he, he should have just skipped high school and went straight into the uh, D1 because he had a D1 body when he was in the ninth grade. Uh, KJ's uh, and one of the nicest kids, uh, you know, I, I got a lot of respect for KJ, uh, a good person, a good person, but uh, yeah, uh, you know, Texas, uh, you know, they defense have to travel, you know, they got to be really good defensively, defensively, uh, if they want to have a chance tomorrow. Uh, I think uh, Bill Self does a good job. Uh, with moving his players and, and, and Kansas got some good pieces, you know, they, they, uh, the big boy on the inside is, is a handful uh, uh, transferred from, from Michigan. I don't know. Hunter, how Hunter Dickinson. Oh, he's a handful, you know, he can go in or out. He can play inside or outside. Uh, he's kind of like the Seuss, uh, you know, and, uh, and then of course, KJ, you know, uh, he struggled, I guess the last several games, you know, but he's capable. You know, he's, he's a tough uh, person to guard because, you know, he'll hang around the, the high post area. He'll hang around the short corner area and people don't forget about him. And all of a sudden it's an alley-oop or he'll catch it and shoot that little, uh, you know, elbow shot at, at the free throw line. And, and uh, you know, uh, just physical, just totally physical. He can defend. Uh, so, uh, and then uh, the 6'9 white kid they got. What's that kid name? Furphy. Uh, Furphy. Johnny Furphy. Uh, I like him. I like yeah, him. Me too. <laughs> I like him. I really like him. That kid can do some things. He can put it on the floor. You know, he's long. He can shoot it. You know, before you know it, he can get to the rim and finish. Uh, you know, and the kid that transferred, you know, I don't know their names, but the kid that transferred from Tech. McCullough. Uh, yeah, McCullough. He's their glue man. He's their glue man. So, yeah, you know, Kansas, like you said, they got a short list, seven players at most. And, uh, but, you know, Coach Seth does a good job of rotating those guys and, and, and picking when to sub and rest those guys. He does a good job at that. 
and they're tough at home. So Texas is, you know, hopefully their their offense, they're shooting the ball well. Uh, Weaver brings a lot of energy. Uh, I like that guy. You know, I think he's been good for Texas lately. And, uh, you know, I think he's the one that kind of gets them going. And uh, if he can do that and, and their defense can, can, can create some turnovers and, and uh, uh, if they shoot the ball better than what they shot it the other night, they got a chance. We were – Zay and I were yelling for Weaver to get on – get more minutes before RT was giving him minutes. But Is that yeah. right? Y'all, y'all saw that? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. We yeah. were a high-energy guy. Very athletic. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. You know, tough kid, tough kid, you know. Uh, he's been good for Texas lately. He really has. I think everybody feeds off of Weaver. I really do. I think that team, he's kind of the, the, the piece that connects the defense together. Yeah. We got a question here from Jack Burton who says, Coach, what makes a good recruiter? <laughs> Personality. Personality. You got to sell uh, – you got to sell number one. You got to sell that university, not not just the basketball program. You got to sell that university, and number two, you got to sell that head coach. You got to sell that head coach. You know, uh, uh, you're going to go play for that guy. You got to talk a little bit about what makes that guy uh, that you want to go play for. So yeah, uh, and then the last thing you got to recruit the mama. You know, mama seals the deal. You got to recruit that mama. You got to let her know we're going to take care of your kid. That's important. Mama want to know that. Mama want to know that, you know? And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a tough thing. That's funny you say that because I remember when we were making our trips when I was coming out of high school to see where I was going to go, ended up at Paris. We went to Wiley, East Texas. I was ready to go. Coach was ready to have me. He was talking about expanding my game, talking about playing me at the three or four. I was ready to go. And mom wasn't having it. She wasn't having it. And I didn't go to Wiley. So (laughs) she wasn't having it. You got to, you got to recruit that mama. That's one thing you got to do and got to sell that program. And, and, uh, you know, everybody's got good facilities nowadays. You know, you look around and, Baylor's got a new facility. University of Houston's got a new facility. You know, uh, it's a different ball game now, Chip. Isaiah, it's a different ball game now, you know, because NIL come into play. You know, back when I was coaching, there was no NIL. That was no NIL. And and now, you know, you got to talk a little bit about NIL, you know. Everybody's looking for a bag. Everybody's looking for a bag, you know. Yeah, now it's – now it's over the table. Used to oh, be yeah, under the yeah. table. Yeah, yeah. What can you do for me? You know, what can yeah. you do for me? You well, know? this comes in from uh, Chris Bennett. Any Michael Griffin stories? <laughs> uh, I got one Michael Griffin story. We were playing in the playoffs. Uh, I think it might have been first round when Mike was a senior. And uh, I think we were playing John Jay. And uh, Mike got into a little scuffle, so I had to uh, go out there and grab him and bring him on back to the bench and sell him down. But, uh, yeah, Mike was intense. Uh, Mike was a great defensive player, 
great defensive player. And it was intense. You know, Mike played with a little chip on his shoulder. And I like that. I, but, you know, I, you know, we can't – we got to make sure that we play within the game. Don't disrespect the game. So I had to go out there and grab him, get him off the court and, and yeah. stuff. But, uh, he told Chip and I when the football season was going on that you think that he was your best defender ever. And I'm like, yo, man, he thinks you were a good defender, but best ever, that's a little rich, Mike. Mike was Mike was close in the top five, no doubt about it. Mike, Mike could guard. You know, I'm not going to say he was the best defensive player ever because I had some good defensive players at Bowie. But Mike was, Mike was one of the kind of guys that, uh, you know, I could go put him and say, hey, Mike, I don't want you to worry about anything else. You guard that guy. I don't want you to help offer anybody. He's your man. Wherever he goes, if he leaves, go get a drink. You go with him. Okay. Mike was that kind of guy. He would stick with his man. And uh, hard nose, tough. And and, and uh, won us a lot of games because of that. So, uh, yeah, Mike was a good defensive player. Uh, uh, what about Marcus? Marcus was a great shooter. Understood the game. Had a great mind for the basketball game. Marcus could stroke it. Yeah, Marcus, two different kind of players, two different kind of players and stuff. Uh, Marcus was calm, very sad, didn't say a lot, you know, didn't talk a lot on, you know, had to get him to, hey, you got to talk on D, got to talk on D. That's one of the things we got to do. But Marcus was kind of quiet and stuff. Not Mike, not Mike. Mike would get us fired up. Mike could talk. Who's the best player? Who's the best player you ever coached? Oh, God. I don't Just know. Just you're I, right on it. Right on the hot seat. I've had some great players, man, and, and, and different kind of players. Uh, that's a tough one. I, you know, Jeremy Greens, Ben Panners, I, Colton Benson's, Michael, you know, Michael you know, Walter. You know, before that, I, you know, Daryl Derryberry. Daryl Derryberry was a stud. But I also got to coach Mike Wacker. By the way, when Billy Clyde left me as my graduate assistant coach, the next year I hired Mike Wacker as my graduate assistant coach when I was at Southwest Texas. So Mike also coached with coach for me. But when I became the my first year of coaching at the eighth grade campus coaching those eighth grade kids, which I had to get out of there real quick. Uh, uh, junior high just won for me. Oh, no, 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 no. But I, I enjoyed coaching the eighth grade kids. But the high school coach called me up and said, hey, look, I need you to come over and work with me at the high school. And Mike Wacker was was playing at that time. And uh, Mike was an All-American, high school All-American. Mike was a stud. And so wow. I got a chance to coach Mike Wacker, coach the post guys a little bit. Uh, so, uh, you know, you got to well, throw and Billy Clyde. I mean, Billy, Billy Gillespie, everyone remembers Billy when he was at A&M and had it, had it going. What, you know, at Kentucky and Kentucky, right? Yeah. And, and at, at, uh, Texas Tech when he, I think when he left Kentucky. Yeah. Billy, Billy Clyde was around. Billy, great basketball man. You know, he's another one of those young guys that just had a great, uh, Mac for the game, uh, defensive minded. You know, you couldn't play for Billy if you couldn't play defense. You couldn't play for Billy. Uh, what's the big kid that, that's playing in the NBA? Jordan played at yeah, Andre Jordan. So I'm yeah. over there watching. I'm over there watching Texas A&M practice. I go down and watch Billy practice when he was at A&M. Uh, 
tell you a Billy story. And right at the beginning of practice, I'm sitting <clears throat> at the scores table. They got it all set up. And the most intense, intense practice I've ever been to was probably Billy Gillespie's practice. And I'm sitting at the scores table watching practice, and it's intense. I mean, you can feel it. Uh, I guess second would be Bobby Knight, but uh, I went to watch them work out. But anyway, Billy is they're practicing, and, and, and uh, first of all, there was there was uh, a collision at at at, at center court. Like two kids ran into each other, fell on the floor, sweat and everything is wet. Out of the corner of my eye, on the left side, this manager runs jumps over the scores table, okay, hits the floor, wipes it up, okay, and sprints off to the other side. I go, now that's intense. And right after that happened, Jordan did something where he wasn't hustling. He told him, run the stairs. I mean, run the stairs. Well, 20 minutes gone by in practice, Jordan is still running from the bottom of the floor all the way up to the stop top. And I'm looking at him, and hours gone by of practice. Jordan is still running the stairs. I go, man, that kid is still running the stairs. It's two hours. So I get up, and I walk over there by him, and I said, hey, man, you might want to trip or something and say, hey, co coach, hey, have you forgot about me? You know, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. He ran for the whole duration of practice, the whole time. He ran the whole time of practice. DeAndre, DeAndre Jordan. Jordan. Yes. Playing in wow. the league now. Playing in the league now. The most wow. intense practice that I've ever been to. And I've been to some good some good workouts. I've seen some good college coaches practice, but that was intense. Billy did, Billy did a good job. And, and you're going to play hard. I mean, there's no – you cannot relax. There's no relax time. You go, you know, if we're going to go for two hours, we're going two hours strong. If you're injured, you still can go. Now, if you're, if you're hurt a little bit, I'll, okay. But if you're injured, go to the training room. But if you're hurt a little bit, let's go. Give me what you got. If it's 80%, give me your 80%. You know, he was, he was hard nosed. And uh, they won a lot of games at AL. He did a good job. Yeah. Good job. He's at Tarleton, right? Yes, yes. He's at yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And they turned D1. They're D1 now. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. that's good stuff. Any good other – uh, Super guy. You know, what, what, what was Zay's best game? Do we remember? It might have been his, your sophomore year when he came off the bench against Westlake. Was that – Junior year. Junior year. That was your junior year yeah. against Westlake uh, at Westlake, I believe. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, was it when Jeremy got injured, or yep, Jeremy got injured, or Jeremy star. Green who played That's for me, that played at, played at Stanford. Jeremy was a heck of a player. Uh, played at Stanford, and uh, Jeremy got injured, and uh, I go, wow, you know, we got a chance to win this, and Jeremy got injured. I need somebody, and I put Isaiah in, and he hit some big threes down the stretch, and. Uh, yeah, we end up beating Westlake at Westlake because of Isaiah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, Zay. Hey, man. Hey, I just let them preach. Just let them what, preach. You know what I'm what saying? What did you have that game? You remember? Uh, like 18. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Like all in the second half, basically. Yeah, all in the second half. How many threes? Four. They were like back to back to back. Yeah, coach called the timeout on the other side. Yeah, big moment, man. Oh, <laughs> big moment. Came in a big, came in a big run. Yeah. yeah. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah, man. No wonder Hope you. No wonder you always bring up Westlake. Oh, I'm telling you, it's personal, Chip. <laughs> it's personal, man. Hey, hey, Dad, go back to the Bob Knight days. You spent a week with him, right? Just picking his brain and. You know, y'all were pretty cool. If y'all hear some outside noise, this guy's got this uh, blower blowing leaves over here. Uh, uh, he's gone to the other side now. So if y'all hear that, that's what's happening uh, in my neighborhood. Oh, you're good. Uh, anyway, anyway, a Bobby Knight story. <clears throat> you know what? Uh, <laughs> Bobby Knight was kind of like bigger than life. It was, it was, um, uh, you know, when I first went down there, I, I spent a week down there learning uh the uh, motion offense. Uh, he's the king of the motion offense. Uh, is that he's as good a coach of coaching the motion offense as I've ever seen. And uh, uh, I remember sitting at here again, sitting at the scores table, center court. Is this at Texas I, Tech or this is at Texas Tech? This okay. is at Texas Tech. And uh, the the players are kind of you know they're working hard, and the coaches are working hard. And Bobby Knight is not out there yet. This is at the beginning of practice. So they're doing their shooting and, and stretching and warming up and stuff. And then all of a sudden, Bobby Knight walks out of the tunnel. And you got to remember, Bobby Knight's 6'5". He's a big man. He's a big man. He's coming out of the tunnel. And you can just tell the whole thing changes on the court, the atmosphere, the intensity, the kids start talking. The coaches got a little bit more pep in their step. And I'm going, wow. And the, his presence. And the first thing came to my mind was, coach, I'm talking to myself, coach, cut your cell phone off because don't look like this guy <laughs> going to put up with anything. So I'm in my pocket, fumbling with my po pocket, trying to get my cell phone to cut it off, cut it on solid. And practice started. And it's it's intense and it's good. And Bobby Knights, he's intense, but he's funny also. He, he's hilarious, you know. And uh, he'll he'll crack a joke or two while he's practicing. But yeah, those guys, those guys earn their money. Let me tell you, that, that's so funny that you bring that up because I was talking to Michael Crabtree. Um, <laughs> when he finished up his football career at Texas Tech is at the ESPN Home Depot Awards. I said, hey, weren't you thinking about playing basketball at Texas Tech? And he's like, yeah. He said, uh, Sonny Dykes was the receivers coach uh -huh. and the recruiting coordinator. Uh -huh. And so Sonny brings Crabtree by Coach Knight's office. It's a big recruiting weekend. Uh -huh. and Sonny's phone went off. And Knight's like, hey, turn that, turn that phone off. You know, like, sorry, coach, sorry, coach. He goes outside, takes the call, comes back in. Well, Sonny can't turn off his phone because it's a recruiting weekend. He's running everything. So his phone goes off again. And Knight's like, hey, I thought I told you to turn that phone off. Uh -huh. so, sorry, sorry, sorry. So he goes out, takes the call, comes back in, and his phone goes off again. And Knight's like, God, God I told you. <laughs> and Crabtree goes, hey, we're good. We're good. I'm done. And he, yeah, 
Yeah. And they leave. Yeah. He goes, oh, I yeah. I wasn't going to play for that guy. Oh, yeah. You should have seen me cut my phone off. I go, this guy don't look like he's going to have it, you know, and stuff. But he was hilarious. He just, you know, he had a great personality. And, uh, you know, what all you hear about Coach Knight and the, you see the chair being thrown when he was at Indiana. What a great man. I, I learned so much. He took time from me. And it's funny. You know who was on that staff? Chris Beard. Beard. Chris Beard. Chris Beard was yeah. on that staff. Beard is he was. He sure, yeah, yeah. His son Pat was on that staff. Well, yeah. it, it's funny because I I wrote the story about him going to Texas Tech, and I went out to cover the press conference, and I had been talking to Pat, and and Pat's like, you know, he's gone, he's done some anger management stuff. So I asked him about it in the press conference, uh-huh. and he's like, you know, my wife has a saying. When the horse is dead, get off it. The horse is dead. Get off it. So I like go back, get in line, come back up. And uh, because I'd said, Well, I have a quick follow-up question. He's like, No, no, I let's move on. And he said, How many people want to hear a follow-up question from this guy? And they all booed because he he kept everyone in the arena. So I go to the back of the line, I get back up, and he's Uh like, Hey, everybody, here's our follow-up question. And um and I asked him another question because he's he said the last time he was at Texas Tech, I'm not coming back here till the turn of the next century. And he's like, Yeah, well, I thought I'd I thought I'd come back. And then he starts talking about Minute Maid orange juice. And so the next morning, I'm the only one there. It's five in the morning, six in the morning. I'm there the whole hour. It's freezing cold outside. And the players start coming out. So I'm talking to him, like, hey, what was the message? Blah, blah, blah. And then night comes out. And I was like, hey, coach, Chip Brown, the Associated Press. I'm, and he's like, I'm not talking. I'm not talking. I said, well, I'm the only one here. And your players just said that, you know, they got them. He goes, hey, I'm not talking. Ooh. And I said, okay, okay. And, and so he starts walking to his car and then Pat comes out. And I'm like, hey, Pat, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I'm talking to Pat for a second. And then right as Coach Knight is getting into his car, he's like, hey, hey. That deal yesterday, that was pretty good. And then he got into his car and drove off. And I go, he wouldn't even talk to me 10 seconds ago. He's like, listen, he goes, you stood up to him. Now, he got the last word, but you stood up He was impressed. That's awesome. That's awesome. Oh, good Lord. I was like, Pat, how did you deal with that? Like, you know, how did anyone deal with it? But, yeah, no, he was. I mean, he was an unbelievable. It's incredible. So one night we went out to eat. He took us out to eat. And uh, it's 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 a little hole-in-the-wall steak place. The best steak I've ever I eaten. I bet it was the 50-yard line. I don't. I can't remember the name. In Lubbock. It was, in Lubbock. Yeah. It was unbelievably good. He, had his, own, he had his own place in the back. By yep. The night. Yep. 50-yard line. There. Yeah, he had his own yep. place. Everybody knew him. We go back there and we sit down. Some, some kind of way we start talking about discipline. You know, you got to have discipline and stuff like that when when you coach and you got to have discipline in your life and, and stuff. And he said, yeah. He said, you know, my little my little uh, three-year-old grandson, he said, my daughter was doing something and he was messing up and my daughter go, and that's one. And 
I was sitting there and all of a sudden he kept up doing the same thing. And my daughter go, that's two. And finally he said, I couldn't take it anymore. He said, I went over there and grabbed the little three-year-old, set him real hard in the seat and say, you little SOB, sit right there and don't you get up. <laughs> he said, everybody has to have discipline. Even that little three-year-old grandson. No, that's, he's, he was, it was he is, he's one of a kind. One of a kind. One of a kind. You know what? His players loved him. His players loved him. I, you know, everybody talk about the chair and, and, and how hard he is and how tough he is. You know, he had a different side to him. And, and uh, you know, the, the, that old saying, and I learned this way before I saw Coach uh, Knight. I learned it from Coach Wacker. They don't know how much, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's so true. And the kids, you know, that he coached knew that he cared. And uh, uh, another story, uh, uh, this was back when he was at Indiana. He used to always write out his practice uh, schedule, stick it in his back pocket and walk around, you know, before practice. And to say every day, Quinn Buckner used to come up there and look, you know, get behind him and look and see what was written on the practice schedule that was sticking up to see, you know, how long practice is going to be, how tough, what we're going to do this, do that. And Bobby Knight finally got tired of it. And uh, one day he wrote on the back of the practice schedule, F you, Quinn. And so Quinn looked back there. And, and it was funny. I mean, that's how practice started with Quinn rolling on the floor because that's what Coach Knight put back there. So, uh, you know, he had a sense of humor. He really did. But he was, he was, he demanded a lot. He held the players accountable, you know. And, and, and you know, a lot of people don't want to hear that nowadays. But from junior high all the way up, you got to hold kids accountable. You really do. And, and, and if you want to be successful, you really do. Yeah. yeah. You really do. And you can't make everybody happy. You can't try to make everybody happy. If you're going to coach, you know, you're not going to make everybody happy. That's part of it. That's, hey, somebody's going to be unhappy. Whether you're winning or whether you're losing, somebody's going to be unhappy. And if you worry about making people unhappy, you're not going to be very successful. What uh, what do you think about Rick Barnes? You know, at Tennessee, he's always got teams that are like in the top ten, and he's been to that one Final Four with with uh, you know um, TJ TJ and TJ did more for Rick Barnes, I think, than Rick did for TJ in a lot of ways because he got Rick to calm down a little bit, you know. But I mean. I look at that Tennessee team he's got right now. I mean, they look good. Everybody wants to pick them to go deep in the tournament, but they don't ever seem to go deep in the tournament. Yeah, and I don't know why, you know. Basketball winning is hard. Yeah. You know, it's just, you know, you got to be good. You got to be lucky. You know, look at Purdue. Do they ever do good in the tournament? Right. I you mean, know, you know, so, so I mean, it's it's – Man, you got to be good. You got to be lucky. You know, it's just it's, it's it's one of those things. The University of Houston, when they had Elijah on and, and all those guys and that that that, that shot where the big guy caught it and finished right there at the bucket. Lorenzo on, Charles, North Carolina. It was North Carolina State, wasn't it? Yep. And uh, and, and, and beat them. You know, uh, man, Houston was loaded. They were loaded. Loaded. 
they were loaded and, and, and stuff. And uh, Guy Lewis just didn't just didn't get it done. So uh, yeah, you know. But if you look at Rick Barnes' record and how well his teams do, the big picture. Yeah, he's a Hall of Famer. He's a Hall of Famer. There's no doubt about it. Now, what do Rick have that some other coaches don't have? He's a great teacher of the game. He understands the game. He holds his players accountable. And if you go back and look at all the coaches uh, uh, that have that kind of success, kind of have that resume, that same resume. And, and uh, you know, of course, you got to have some good players. That, that's You know, you got to have some good players and, and stuff. And they got to buy into what you do. And, uh, you know, the good ones, they get good players. They, they get them to buy in. They hold them accountable. And uh, uh, they let them know that they care about them. And uh, these are the guidelines you can play within. They understand their role. And uh, uh, they get a lot out of their players, and, and they're successful. You know, how do you so – do you, do you only define success? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no. S. Arrington said, Coach, would you rather coach five one and duns or five seniors? Five seniors. I'd rather coach five seniors. Uh, the reason why I get to know my kids, I get to, I get to, I get to see them develop and grow. To me, that's what it's all about. Uh, you know, the five and done, that's tough. You got them for one year and they're out of there. And the next year you're right back where you started. Uh, you know, I'm not saying I wouldn't coach a five and done. Don't get me wrong now. But I, I would, if I had a choice, you know, I would rather coach five seniors. Those guys have been with me for that long. And and, and uh, uh, you got a chance to see them grow and develop and build a relationship. I'm a relationship kind of guy. And, and uh you know, to me, that's what coaching is about. You know, you know, not beside coaching, you got to build relationships. And and this coaching for one year, sure, yeah, you can build a relationship, but you really get to know your kids and, and if they're there for four years. How do you feel about where the game is at now? I mean, Adam Silver, commissioner of the NBA, he came out and said he was pretty unpleased with how the youth coaches in AAU is being just kind of brought up compared to what they do in Europe. And you see guys like Jokic and Giannis and Luka come over to the league and are just so developed and skilled. you think there's anything missing or do you think the game is still in a good place? <laughs> Well, if, if 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 we go back with 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 to college right now, I I just don't like the the transfer portal. I, I I'm just not real big on that, and and I think they need to, you know, it's not going to go away. I think it needs to be adjusted. You know, one year you get to transfer one time, that's it. You know, there's guys transferring three and four times. They're out of there. You know. Uh, I don't like that. I, I, I just don't like that. Going back to AAU and 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 uh, uh, that kind of stuff, I think it's starting to change a little bit because now the UIL is allowing coaches to coach their kids during the summer for one hour a day. I think that's going to help high school basketball because now I get to coach my kids instead of my kids going just to play select ball or AAU ball 
I get to see my kids. I can see them every day, one hour a day, and work with them with on their skills, whatever on their defense, whatever their need, whatever their needs are. And uh, I think that's going to make a diff- big difference. And that that just started what three years ago, you know. So uh, I think that's going to help. I don't know what they're doing in Europe. Uh, I'm behind the ball on it. What are they doing in Europe right now? That that uh, the commission. They, they just have those development programs where the kids are basically going to basketball school at a very young age, and then they get on those club pro teams very early, and they just kind of play uh, just a different game. Yeah, yeah. Will will we be able to do that over here? You know, some of those some of those uh, select teams over there in Europe in different places are have an academy where kids just go to school, and that's yeah. all they do. They go to school there, and then they uh, most of their day is spent on the basketball court, and the rest of it is in the classroom. You know, I don't think we're going to get to that point. I just don't think we'll ever get to that point. Uh, but I do think basketball is getting better. I really do. I think basketball is getting better. Uh, if you look at some of the players that are coming out right now, uh, go to some of the high school games around here and watch these high school coaches. Uh, you'll see coaches that are really putting in a lot of time and a lot of work and, and, and effort. Uh, you know, uh, Stony Point, you know, they, they got one loss. They got a big kid that's going to uh, uh, Villanova. Uh, you know, those kids are are unbelievable how, how well they play. Uh, uh, you go over there, you know, everybody was talking about, oh, Westlake lost a lot of players and they're going to be, you know, Westlake coach does a great job. And uh, they end up tying for the district championship uh, this year and uh, have won a couple of rounds in the playoffs. So, uh, you know, these guys are working hard, you know, they're scouting. The grind is real in high school basketball, uh, you know. Uh, they're in gyms watching kids play. Uh, they, in the summertime, going down watching their kids play. Uh, you know, they spend a lot of time watching film and scouting. Uh, now you got huddle. You don't have to go out and scout like back in the old day when I was coaching. Uh, huddle came out right at the end of my career. And so you could just click on huddle, have somebody to send you that film. Boom, watch all the film you want. I spent more time watching Huddle, but that was good. But back in the day, we didn't have no Huddle. You know, we had to go and uh, try to exchange tapes. And uh, we started with the VCR, and then we went to the little mini cassette and, and stuff watching film. And now it's all on the computer, and, and uh, you can watch it on Huddle, and which is awesome. And so, uh, but you spend a lot of times. There's a lot, of, and, and there's no days off, you know. We practice six days a week. You practice six days a week in, in high school ball. They're going to practice on Saturday. And you got Sundays off because the UIL said you had to. And uh, But the coaches are up there on Sundays watching film. What can I do? Or they take their computer home watching film, getting ready for Monday because they got to play on Tuesday. You know, so the grind is for real. It's, it's for real. And, uh, you know, I think basketball is is in a good place. I really do. Well, we need to we need to do this on the regular, coach. <laughs> sure. Okay. Sure. I, I, All right. I, I, I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind. I, All right. I yeah. Especially as we'll get March you back to March Madness. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's the best time of the year. Yeah. Hey, absolutely. Much. When was the last time you won a family bracket? Ninety six. It's been a minute, ain't it? 
come on now, what, what, what you doing? Because I was reigning champ this past year. I'm feeling good, feeling real good. Chip, they get on Coach Hart. My family get on Coach Hart simply because I was the coach, okay? They think I should know more. And so when I lose, you know, they, they're calling me loser and, and stuff like that. When the last time coach won and, and my wife beat me and Isaiah beat me and my daughter, everybody beats coach, you know? I haven't won in a while, Chip, but I'm feeling good about this year. Uh, Hey, when you and I play in that golf tournament, we're going to turn on that Rocky music and we're going to win. Hey, I'm looking forward to it. You know, I got a bad back, but that's not going to stop me. I'm playing in the in the Bucky's tournament. I'm playing with my friend Buck. That's my guy right there, Bucky. Uh, I may have to get a one of those relaxed the back chairs uh, after I play in that tournament. But, uh, yeah, I'm playing in that tournament. Okay. All right. It's a deal. Coach, thanks, thanks guys. so much. Appreciate Thanks, you guys wow. having me on today. Appreciate it. Y'all yeah, take care. All right. All right. There he is. Coach Collier. You kidding me? Guy's a legend. We're going to get him on on the, on the regular during March Madness. We're going to be talking some hoops with uh, with Coach. You know what I'm saying? It's my man. All right. So were you uh, – did you get your chores done on time and that kind of thing? Uh, depends. Or was Coach always having to get after you about it? He was it? always having to get after me, yes. Okay. Yes. Always having okay. to get after you about chores. Like, I mean, how can I focus on chores when I'm worried about my left-hand finishing? You know what I'm saying? And that that never worked. <laughs> who, was on that, who was on that Westlake team that you schooled? Um, They had a kid, Connor Kemper. He was around 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. He was solid. I think he went on to play some college basketball. Um, yeah, their biggest dude was Cody Doolin. Like he was dropping forty on teams, and I kind of I grew up playing with Cody as a kid. Yeah, uh, he kind of played in the same organization that I played in, even though he was a year younger than me. And sometimes when they played up in my grade, they would put me on their teams, and he was always good. But yeah, he took his game to another level in high school, and he ended up going to San Francisco and then UNLV. Solid, solid player. But yeah, we never had the. I didn't have to deal with Nick Foles or anything. Like Nick Foles, actually, I would have played him if I was sophomore. And he would have stayed, but he was so good at football. He said, I'm just going to go full football because I'll be an NFL player one day. And, yeah, that obviously worked out for him. Bulls was a pretty good basketball player. Oh, my gosh. He was like a 6'5 Dirk. Yeah. <laughs> he was like a 6'5 Dirk, man. Well, let's uh, let's talk a little football with our man, John McClain. John McClain, Hall of Fame voter and in the Pro Football Hall of Fame for his coverage of the NFL. John, how you doing? I'm doing great, guys. How are y'all? We're doing great. It's a, it's a family Friday. We just had Zay's dad on for, uh, for an hour. He's a legendary coach at Bowie High School. And, and uh, so it was nice of Zay to arrange that. And um, I learned all about Zay and how he beat Austin Westlake High School in a huge game coming off the bench. Wow. So, you know, Zay's yeah, a yeah, John, he uh, he also talked about how he had an opportunity in the 90s to take the assistant 
coaching job for basketball at Baylor, and he turned that down to coach my brothers and me. So, Harry Miller. I always heard that Zay was on the bench, of course, and he was on the end of the bench, and it came down to the last game of his senior year, and the fans started chanting, we want Zay. We want Zay. We want Zay. And it reached a crescendo with the fans chanting, we want Zay. Finally, his dad called him over. Zay runs over there. Dad, I'm ready to go in. No, Zay, I want you to go over and find out what the hell those fans want. I love it. Oh, well, I use I, that uh... sometime when people ask me if I had a, if I played football, uh, uh, when I was growing up, I tell them, yeah, I use that joke. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, um, did you play football growing up? Till I discovered girls. Yeah. <laughs> played football. I was going to be a Cowboys quarterback, or I was going to play center field for the Astros. They were going to have to move Cesar Cedeno to left field to make room for me. And then I discovered girls, and my life went straight down the toilet. <sighs> But the sports well, bring you the girls, John. You didn't put two and two together. <laughs> John, as they say, it's undefeated. undefeated. That's the truth. It is undefeated. Um, okay, so a lot of uh, hubbub in the NFL about free agency. And we were talking about Kirk Cousins the other day because he was on the same Michigan State roster with Nick Foles and Brian Hoyer. My man Foles is out of the game. So's Hoyer and Kirk Cousins is coming off an Achilles injury, about to be a free agent, and it looks like he's still gonna get another contract. John, every free, every potential free agent or player who is about to be cut or his contract redone because of the salary cap they are celebrating in the streets because the NFL announced a while ago the cap's going up to 255.4 million from that's 30.6 uh, million increase more than 13 percent it's never gone up anywhere like that the most i had seen projected was 250 and i didn't believe it because usually the cap goes up by 12 to 13 so it's all about life is all about timing you know whether you're driving on the freeway or bars are about to close down at 2 a.m. It's all about timing. And if your contract's about to expire like Kirk Cousins and you're unrestricted, it's going to be even better for him and anybody who's all those free agents who want substantial raises. Uh, they got a better chance of getting them now with this monstrous hike in a salary cap. That's a hundred million more than God, I was covering the league in 2000, 2001, 2002. And the salary cap was like under $100 million. Started in 1994, I believe. It was 30-something. And uh, and it's uh, some teams know how to manipulate the cap better than others. There's ways to you can sign players without just keep pushing the cap dollars down the road where the piper's going to have to be paid at some point. But the ones who've done that now look like geniuses with this monster increase. And the cap's always based on income the owners have. And the owners uh, paid back. They got some, uh, the union agreed uh, 
to cut back and defer a lot of the money they would have gotten during the pandemic. So now it's all due, and that's one of the reasons it's happening, plus TV revenues with all the streaming revenues is going up. So it's a good time to be an NFL player. $87 million went to benefits and pension. So don't feel sorry for those NFL players. They're never going to increase the insurance, though, for the retired players. I mean, is it still they only get health insurance the first five years after they retire? Yeah, you don't get it for life. And I, I'll ask some of the older guys that were part of strikes in 77, 82, and 87. I said, well, did you do anything for the old guys? Uh, well, no. Everybody just does it for themselves. Now, in the last CBA, they did designate um, they did designate a certain portion to the pre-something, pre-something. I, I can't remember what the year was. And a lot of players got a raise of about 3000 a month. But what they'd love to get, of course, is insurance for life. But that's never going to happen. You know, there's a few guaranteed contracts. Kirk Cousins was fully guaranteed. Deshaun Watson's is. I saw um, a tweet somebody put out there that Watson's percentage of the Browns cap just went down significantly. Wow. Was 64. He's due 64 million against the cap, and which I don't see how they could possibly carry that kind of cap figure. But now maybe they won't have to redo it, push it down the line, or give him a new contract. Wow. John Dalton Schultz set to be a free agent. What's the word on him? Are the Texans, is he a key on them, you know, resigning Dalton Schultz, or are they going to let him go and maybe seek somebody in the draft or via trade? Well, if you let Dalton Schultz go, you have nothing. You have to start over in free agency or the draft. Why would you want to do that? There's no guarantee about rookies. It's not a good tight end year like it was last year, which was a pretty incredible. And if a tight end's out there available in a cap, there's a reason. You know, the Cowboys let Schultz go after he, one year after he was franchised because the younger guy, I can't remember his name, who's really good. Ferguson. Yeah, Ferguson. And so – uh, C.J. Stroud likes Schultz a lot. He feels comfortable with him, confident with him. I think they're going to re-sign him, and they're not going to throw away. They're not going to throw away money. And some of the things that the best managers of the cap know to do, you don't spend a lot of money on a player unless he's coming off a rookie contract, and you take care of your players first. You reward players for jobs well done because that provides incentive. For the other players, when they say, oh, geez, you know, Dalton, he came in at a good year. Uh, They're paying him. I want to have a good year, so they'll pay me. And you make sure you don't sign a lot of guys. You don't ever sign big guys with an injury history or guys who've hit 30 for big money. And those are just four things you should keep in mind. And if you do it, you got a much better chance of managing the cap in a better fashion than a lot of teams do when they spend money that they regret. You know, after what the Texans did this year, John, I mean, what what do you think is fair expectation for 2024? Well, of course, it depends on who they keep. They're going to have big turnover. They have more than 30 players with expiring contracts. Of course, they don't want to re-sign all of them, but there are some. A guy like Jonathan Grenard – He's their number one guy. 
but he wants like 20 million or more a year. They're not going to give that to him. He's been hurt every year he's been in the league. And he had 12 and a half sacks last year. Would have had more, but he got hurt. And if somebody else offers him a, a bigger raise than they've got budgeted, they'll let him walk and they'll look for somebody else. But they have needs. Two good positions to look for in free agency if you have needs like the Texans do. They'll need a linebacker if uh, Blake Cushman uh, leaves. Uh, not Blake Cushman. My goodness, I forgot his first name. And uh, he's unrest- yeah, Blake, he's unrestricted. He played really well. First year in his career, he's been he- healthy. And you got to be wary, guys, who are healthy in the in the contract year and not any other time. Like, look at the Yankees. Aaron Judge is hurt every year, except in his contract year. He gets more than $400 million. What does he do? Miss 40 games next year. It's You have to worry about that. And so um, you can get linebackers and safeties. Texans have big need of safeties. Where you look at the premium positions, like what the Texans need, they need defensive linemen. They need pass rushers. That's what you get in the draft, unless you're getting a guy cheap to be part of a rotation. And you need corners. And then your receivers. They're not going to be looking for offensive linemen for the first time. Their problem last year is they had to start 11 because of injuries. And uh, but they and then they got to improve their running game. But I don't think it'll be spending a lot of money. They're not going to sign Saquon Barkley or Derrick Henry or Josh Jacobs because in the zone scheme that they run, so many backs have been good in that scheme uh, for years since Mike Shanahan started to perfect it. And it was continued over under Gary Kubiak and then Kyle Shanahan. Well, speaking of the 49ers, I saw some buzz about should the Texans trade for Brandon Ayuk, the 49ers receiver. Yeah, that kind of stuff is is put out there by all the fan websites. And it's great. Talk show hosts like to talk about it because they got to talk four hours a day. So it's fine to talk about it. It ain't happening. They're not going to go out and, and trade and give up uh, picks for the next two years to get Brandon Ayuk, and uh, they're just not. They already got Nico Collins coming off a great season. Tank Dell was having a great season. He's back, so there's only one football to go around. They will get another receiver. They haven't given up on John Mechie third, who played all last season, didn't, didn't do much, he played. He had to catch every once in a while. He was a good blocker, ferocious blocker. But considering he had to beat leukemia and a torn ACL, uh, this will be his third season, but kind of like his second. So they have high hopes for him. They traded into the second round to draft him out of Alabama before he blew out his knee, or after he'd blown out his knee in the SEC championship game. So uh, they're not going to go out and make a trade for IU and pay him whatever it is he's looking for. John Mike McDonald, head coach of the Seahawks, just came from the Ravens as a defensive coordinator. He just hired Ryan Grubb, who was the coordinator for Kalen DeBoer for the Huskies. We saw them at the Sugar Bowl against Kansas. But uh, what's Mike McDonald bring to the table? What have you heard from him? What do you think he's going to do up in the Pacific Northwest? I, I, I knew he was going to get a head coaching job. I thought it might be Washington, one of the others in the eastern part of the country. And then when they brought him out there, I kind of thought Mike Vrabel was going to get a job. Now, you passed up Mike Vrabel, who's been coach of the year, has gotten to the AFC championship game, and he's done it with an inferior roster. 
And so he got fired after last season. But you're going with a guy, McDonald, 36, who's been a coordinator two years. And he may go to the Hall of Fame as a head coach, but you're taking a heck of a chance. John Schneider now gets in total charge in Seattle, first time in 12 years, because Pete Carroll always had final say on personnel. So it makes sense that he's going to get a young guy who is fine with him making all the personnel decisions. And if McDonald's team plays as well as his defense did the last two years, he'll be a success. They got a lot of talent on that roster. And I'm not so sure about Geno Smith. They they like him. They don't love him. They're not in a position to get another quarterback unless it's a free agent like Kirk Cousins. If I'm them, I'm looking at Cousins. If I'm the Falcons, I want Cousins. I don't buy. And, well, maybe – uh, Pittsburgh go after Cousins. I don't buy. I know Justin Fields is going to get traded. And the Bears are going to take uh, Caleb Williams. This stuff about the Steelers might be interested in Fields. Steelers have never in their history. Well, that's not true. Jefferson Street, Joe Gilliam, who was there with Terry Bradshaw, he liked to run around. But they like, they're like they built on the running game, pocket passers. They want mobile guys, of course, who can slide and avoid the rush and throw on the run. They've never had anybody like Fields, so I would think Cousins would be a candidate there. Both those guys could be a candidate with the Raiders. Isn't it amazing the way so many teams still need quarterbacks? It seems like it's that way every year. Yeah. John, when we talk to you at this time next week, the combine will be will be going on. How much – they always say the first round is about measurables and the guys who, you know, just – hit the measurable lottery in life. Give us your take on who stands to gain the most. Are there certain positions that tend to gain the most at the combine? What, uh, you know, what's your take on that? Guys who are like you, Chip, they look great in their underwear. The NFL, and I think this is preposterous, as we get closer to the draft, what you did in college is less and less important. You should, as an NFL scout, general manager, personnel director, or assistant coach, should be able to watch tape of a prospect's games, every tape of every game he played, and know whether he can play or not. And then you talk to people that worked with him, and uh, they love to talk to strength coaches, medical people, because they're around those guys the most. And you should be able to make uh, wise decisions if that's all you have. But when they get out there in shorts and T-shirts and they look good and they sound good in interviews and they're, and they're so much fun to be around when they have dinners and lunch, all of a sudden their value skyrockets. I never paid any attention to J.J. Watt uh, until his combine in 2011, in which everybody ooh gnawed about him. And I'm like, who, what, how big is he, what did he do? 2006, Texans never even went to Mario Williams' pro day. Then Mario Williams tore up the combine. Everybody's running back to figure out who this Mario Williams is, and both of them turned out to be really good first-round picks by the Texans. Then you got a guy like Mike Mamula from Boston College, great, Great combine. One of those is the late great Joe Bucksbaum used to say, looks like Tarzan, hits like Jane. Well, that was Mike Mamula. First round pick, Philadelphia. I think seventh overall, one of the biggest busts in history. 
Ryan Leaf lights it up in shorts and T-shirts. Chargers trade up to get him. Mitchell Trubisky looks great. Goes up in uh, the draft uh, the Bears do to get him when Mahomes and Watson were there to get uh, could have him for nothing. And so you see a lot that fall in love, not just at the combine. Uh, you can't tell anything about linemen. They can run. But, you know, why they have linemen run the 40-yard dash is beyond me. It should all be about the tight spaces, the quickness, lateral quickness, what they can kind of burst do they have when they run 10 yards because they'll never run 40 yards unless they're chasing a guy who scores and they want to get in on the celebration. Wide receivers can look good. Quarterbacks can look good. My God, how can you not look good when nobody's rushing you? Nobody's covering you. If you don't look good at the combine, something is wrong. And last year, Bryce Young was there. Everybody wanted to see how tall he was and uh, how much he weighed. But he didn't throw. C.J. Stroud threw. And all of a sudden, people are, boy, that's C.J. Stroud. He can throw. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, he should be able to throw here. (laughs) DBs are another one. Because you can watch their hips turn and run, and you can see their speed and all those drills they put them in through. And of course, you see their size. And if a corner's six foot, they'll slobber all over him because that's great size today. And if they're if they're taller than that, they even got a better chance. But uh, not much about the linemen. Linebackers can't hit anybody. Fullbacks can't run over anybody. Backs can't run over anybody. I love it on NFL Network. A running backs weaving in in and out of, of of things they put down for them to weave in and out of, and they're like, "Oh my God, look at that! Nobody's chasing him, nobody's hitting him. Why shouldn't he be good?" I just think I love it. I watch it. It's the first time I haven't been. I'll be watching it from afar, and I'll eat it up. But there's it's fact of life that this point combine. Uh, pro days, private workouts, that's when you make your money if you're a prospect. John, what are your thoughts on Marvin Harrison Jr.? Chip said this week that he'd take Roma Doomsie, the Washington receiver, over Marvin Harrison Jr., and it got me thinking if Jr. didn't have the dad or that Hall of Fame genes, would he get all this hype that he's getting? I believe Chip is probably – well, as he was with the Lions, he was the only fan in the country uh, outside of Michigan of the Lions for decades. And just like now, nobody would think that about Aduze, uh other than from the state of Washington. Nobody thinks like that. Marvin Harrison Jr. wasn't as a freshman as when he was a sophomore. He exploded. And everything I've seen about him is, is great. And, yeah, when uh, he had C.J., he did, but and he he and everybody said, well, he and other receivers made Stroud. Now it looks like Stroud had a lot to do with their success. So no, Marvin Harrison Jr. is going ahead of him if they have three quarterbacks come off the board as the first three. And if the Patriots don't take a quarterback, they're crazy. That'll leave Marvin Harrison Jr. going to Arizona to play with Kyler Murray. Well, I remember Larry Lacewell, R.I.P. Larry Lacewell with the Cowboys, every time the draft would roll around, he'd pull out this little index card of Mel Kuyper 
saying the Cowboys should draft Tony Mandarich over Troy Aikman. <laughs> and he's like, everybody's a genius. And he'd show that little quote. And it just cracked me up. There's though I go back and look at scouting reports sometime. I'm just curious about what people said about Stroud, what they said about Deshaun Watson, what they said about Ryan Leaf and Peyton Manning. At this point in 98, probably half the people, and I'm not talking about just NFL people, I'm talking about media people, former players and coaches who are in the media. They had said Ryan Leaf should go ahead of Peyton Manning because he was bigger, wider had a better arm, was more mobile, but nobody. And when the Chargers traded up to get him with Arizona, I knew when he came to the combine and I watched him get out of his uh, van in front of the player's hotel and he set his bags down for the valet and went inside and there's no valet. And then we just sat there and watched in a few minutes. He came back down with his head down, picked his luggage up and went back in that that guy must have had a high opinion of himself. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, not a good look. I covered I covered the Ryan Leaf year with the Cowboys. I mean, John, it was it was Ryan Leaf, Chad Hutchinson, uh, then Quincy Carter, but Ryan Leaf actually started a game for the Cowboys. I mean. It was, it was so sad. And he threw this pass and it went like into the stance. Great arm. Yeah. And I said, Hey, what, uh, what happened on that pass that you threw into the stands? And he goes, Oh, I have this wrist subluxation thing. He's like, so they taped it up and I'm like, Oh my God. You know? He heard it lifting his luggage at the combine. I guess. He should have said, I threw it right where I was intending to throw it. Anybody complains about Dak Prescott should think about that quarterback room they had that year. Oof. Yeah, that was awful. Was there uh do you have a favorite combine story? Um or interview or any I'm trying to think of something that was away from football. Uh, I've already told a story about Mike Mamula, who, who was the biggest combine uh, workout warrior in history. Anytime anybody talks about somebody, they bring up the Mamula example. And uh, I know, uh, boy, I know a lot of stories. Well, it does sound like then. There used to be a club right off downtown, and I'm not going to say who it is. You, you go to this club. And a lot of women would come from the Indianapolis area and go to this club on the weekends. And you and I would watch some coaches dancing uh, on the on the big elevated dance floor. And a couple of them, it was like slam dancing. They were banging into people, knocking them around. Of course, they're drunkards, skunks. And I was thinking about things like that, where I'd seen things that were off the record that I would never use. And uh, I remember one time a guy came up. To, well, this is one that would be for Austin. A guy came up to me with these big old black rim glasses. And it, this was when there were probably seven or eight of us cut writers covering the combine. And we were in the lobby of the Crown Plaza. Nobody helped us. If we had a list of numbers, like some guys number 38, 39, and we see 38 and we got, oh, that's so-and-so. We got to interview him about the draft. 
and there was a tight end, Lawrence from Texas. Lawrence uh, Sampleton? Uh, no, it wasn't Lawrence Sampleton. It was uh, anyway, the guy that came up and introduced me was Jeff Nally, a Longhorn. And Jeff it was his uh, only client, his first client. And I and he wanted to know if I wanted to do a story on the player. And I didn't because he's a Longhorn. And Jeff, and I thought that guy will never get another client. And then he turned out to be one of the most successful agents in the business and uh, still is, and has done an incredible job. Boy, I wish it wasn't Sampleton. I could remember who it was. And, uh, and, and, and now Jeff and I are friends, but he, uh, at that point, he looked like he's about 12 years old. And uh, I thought he's going to get chewed up and spit out by all these agents trying to steal his client, but he didn't. And uh, I've seen some funny things about uh, players. Uh, who was the guy, the linebacker that got mad at all the uh, LSU Foster, Ramon Foster, got mad because he didn't, he left, didn't, he got mad at the doctors because they kept poking and prodding him, which is what they do. And he yelled and screamed at him. And right then, he should have known there was going to be, he's going to have issues, first round pick. And he's bounced around and never fulfilled his potential because he didn't have it here in the heart. And uh, I, but anyway, those are th- things. Some that I can think of off the top of my head, as far as interviews, uh, Maurice Claret, running back from Ohio State, goes up with his big old oversized pullover. And he did because he was about 30 pounds overweight. Ended up going the third round to the Broncos. And people were asking about his weight. He had all those issues off the field, taking on the NFL, and he never would admit how much he weighed. Brian Cushing, I have great respect for Cushing because there was all these steroid reports about him at USC. He had steroid reports going back to high school. So I'm right in front of his podium. So right off the bat, I asked him about all the steroid reports. And I thought he would say, next question, or I'm not talking. He addressed them. He said, I've had them all my life. This is how I go about dealing with them. And, uh, and I respected him for the way he took that on. Oh, I got another one. Um, Tim Tebow comes to the big podium. It's packed out there. And, and we're waiting to ask, start asking Tebow questions. And a guy in front, y'all would know him, Oklahoma City, longtime columnist there. He Barry was, Trammell? It might be Barry. He was in the front, and you see him hand his notepad and pen to Tebow and Tebow writes something down and hands it back to him. And the media says that he asked for an autograph, just makes him look terrible. He didn't. Tebow thought of something he needed to write down. Saw said, Can it can I borrow your can I borrow your tablet? And people just should have been humiliated. I remember just ripping the hell out of the media because they didn't check it out. They just assumed he was getting Tebow's autograph and he was not and I thought man I'm glad Tebow didn't ask me for my notepad because I was just kind of on the end beside him and that was an embarrassing and uh, it was the media people that publicized it that should have been embarrassed yeah I bet Barry was there because that was Sam Bradford's draft as well I believe 
I can't remember. And I think it was Barry. Uh, uh, but yeah, solid. I, felt, I felt terrible one time in the media room. He stood up and said, I did not ask Tim to know Because <laughs> you guys know when there's a bad media report, like Boomer Esiason's report on radio in New York, that Belichick turned down the Falcons, you know, the, the toothpaste is out of the tube. And a guy that reports it can always say, well, hey, it was true. They just don't want people to know it. I was right. And if you say may or could or it's possible, then you can get away. Well, hey, I didn't report that. But today we see more and more of that all the time because there's so little accountability. And uh, But I've never felt worse for a media person than I did that weekend. Well, let's uh... – Let's do it again next week. We'll we'll pick your brain for some more combine stories. I'm sure, uh, you know, I'm sure there's probably a good story about Deion Sanders in there somewhere. But um, yeah, John, appreciate it so point, much. Four point two. It was handheld. His handheld. Thank you guys. <laughs> Have a good one. Right. Thanks, John. Appreciate you. There goes John McClain, the goat, as Ike calls him. Goat time. All right, let's get to the commentary. Um, but quick mention of Apple leasing. I mean, getting into the car you want to be driving, they're going to lease you any make or model of car. That's the beautiful thing. Um, so give them a call. You're going to love it because you're not paying for the future trade-in value of that car, getting into a better car than you thought you could afford, and it's brand new. And if you had a bad leasing experience in the past, it's probably because you leased from a dealership. And of course, the dealership's not going to want you to leave their make and model of car. So they're going to impose the penalties and all that. That's not what's going on at Apple Leasing. They're going to, you want to change make and model of car two, three years into your lease? No problem. The easy lease at Apple Leasing. I've been a client for 15 years. So give them a call. 346-9977. Or visit AppleLeasing.com. Tell them Chip Brown sent you. Brain Vault, mouth guard, revolutionizing the mouth guard. Not some sporting good, you know, piece of rubber that you're putting in a boiling pot. This is a this is a mouth guard fitted by a dentist, Dr. Greg Eckert, Austin's dentist, Dr. U E C K E R T. Developed it right here. Uh, it's taking over. It's in college football. It's in the NFL. Um, and it can be in your competitor's mouth. Maybe you're the competitor. Um, and if you're the head of a whole team, they'll do group fittings. They'll come to you to do the group fitting. Uh, just go to brainvault.com. Patented proven to reduce the effects of concussion. And of course, we're heading into the weekend. So make your brunch reservations at Cover 3 this weekend. Check it out. You hear me talk about it? But uh, or go in for for lunch, grab the Sean Adams prime rib sandwich, which is an absolute must. If you haven't already, um, get the Parmesan fries and don't forget about the. The uh, buffalo chicken sliders, I love the beef tenderloin sliders, always with Parmesan fries, Um, cover three right there on Anderson up in Round Rock, of course, cover two at 183 in Lake Creek. And when you're ready for the big screen of your dreams, only one place to call, and that's audiovisual consultations. Our man, Tom McKay, has been doing it for uh, over 30 years, been putting surround sound and big screens in a lot of your favorite restaurants in Austin, including Cover 3. Um, and he'll do it for you, too. 
So here's the beautiful thing. It's going to bring you the best price on big screen, surround sound, surveillance, electronic shades, um, you know, new lighting. Maybe you want to change things up in a room. Uh, Tom and his crew will bring everything to you and there's no need for you to be punching through drywall. Let the experts handle it. AV consultations, write down this number, 255-8678. Uh, and they will bring everything to you. All right, Zay, let's get to it. Um, Texas is playing Kansas tomorrow at 5 p.m. And this makes me sad in a way because this is the last time Texas will be playing at Fog Allen Fieldhouse for the foreseeable future. And I've been lucky enough to cover a bunch of games at Fog Allen Fieldhouse. And I think back uh, to March 3rd, 2007, when Kevin Durant went in there. And this was one of those rare occasions where this final regular season game was going to decide the regular season Big 12 championship. And Kevin Durant turned the sound off in Fog Allen Fieldhouse, which I've compared to a, a 747 jet hanger when you're revving the engines of a 747. It It's 16,300 people stacked on top of the court raising the sound level until the opposing team just loses its nerve. And Texas, you know, I'd been there in 99, 01, 03. This was before they went, you know, down to a 10-team league. So Texas would play at Kansas every other year. And in 07, this was the week that Durant and AC Law put on probably the best performances I've ever seen in the Irwin Center. It was a double overtime game. AC Law hit three-pointers to extend it twice. He hit three-pointers to force overtime the first time and the second time. He scored 33. Durant was had 30 and 16. I'm getting chills talking about it. Um, but they had just played that game on Wednesday, and they're going to Fog Allen Fieldhouse to play on Saturday. So you're like, Oh man, what's Durant got left, you know? And I just remember I would always go to the court early when I would go to Allen Fieldhouse because it's a museum. I mean, just the building is a museum. And when they renovated it, they actually turned part of it into a museum. And so I remember walking out to the floor and there's Durant all by himself getting up shots and sweating. Like, you know, he's kind of going through it. And I'm like, wow, you know. We'll see what what's going on. And because this was a Kansas team that, you know, had Julian Wright, Ron Collins, Mario Chalmers, um, you know, Darrell Arthur. Yeah, Brandon Rush, you know. And it was unbelievable. Durant came out smoking. I mean, he he just couldn't miss. And it was threes. It was drives to the bucket. It was turnaround jumpers. And he had uh, he had 20 points with 7.55 left in the first half. And Texas, he had 25 at halftime, and Texas was up 16. And it was silence in Allen Fieldhouse. Like they – and they know basketball – 
as well as any fan base in the country. And they still talk about it. And unbelievably, Durant turns his ankle at the 11 minute mark of the second half. And he leaves the game for four minutes on the clock, which, you know, is like 20 minutes of real time. And Kansas gets on a run. And by the time Durant comes back at the seven minute mark, Kansas is leading and Durant's not the same. I mean, he's just kind of hobbling, trying to make it through. And when that game ended and Kansas won it by three, they stood and gave Durant a standing ovation as he left the floor. I've never seen anything like it. You know, Kansas fans, they're like rock chalk, Jayhawk, and get on uh, on your way. They gave him a standing ovation as he left the floor. And it was one of those situations you just, you say, what if? Because Bill Self leaned over to Danny Manning, who was his like, you know, head of operations at that time and said, Danny, you got any ideas? This guy's going to put 80 on us. They had Julian Wright on him at first, and Durant was just working Julian Wright. Then they put Brandon Rush on him. Nothing could stop Durant until he twisted his ankle. And I just wish we would have gotten to see the rest of of that game with a healthy Durant because no one had ever scored 25 in the first half against Kansas. Ever. I don't think that's happened again since, but they still talk about it, and it was ridiculous. So. Yeah, KD's one year at Texas is still just so memorable and special. One of the top five best college players I've ever seen in my life. And, yeah, that Kansas team, that next year they went on to win the whole thing. So that team was really good. And, yeah, then Texas, they played them in the Big 12 championship. That, oh, year too and lost that, that game ball. was insane. Yeah. That game was insane. Sharon Collins and and Durant, I mean – it was, yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. And then they ran into that USC team in the way out there in Spokane with Nick Young, Swaggy P. Swaggy, Swaggy P was giving us bucket that day. God, Swaggy P was giving us Pruitt. Day. I mean, it was, yeah, Swaggy P went off. Taj Gibson went off. And no one that I think that was the game AJ couldn't hit a shot. Um, I, well, I shouldn't say that because I don't want to. AJ's a local kid, but Texas just couldn't get any, you know, couldn't get anything going. Um, and so they were out in the round of 32. Yeah. I saw AJ Abrams give my dad 41 during his McNeil days. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they still won the game. The Bulldogs still pulled it off somehow. But, yeah, A.J. Abrams went for about 41 at the Round Rock Tournament. And, you know, when you win, obviously you move on. They moved on to the championship. And guess who they faced? Del Valley and Curtis Geralds. 
who went on to Baylor and played for Scott Drew, one of his best guards in the early 2000s. They lost that one, but yeah, playing wow. AJ Abrams and then Curtis Gerald's in back-to-back games, like that's just that <laughs> that's some well, shit, man. And I stand corrected, AJ Abrams did have it. He scored 20 and had he was four of seven from three. It was DJ Augustine who couldn't, he was one of eight. Oh four, he couldn't couldn't get it going. He only had six points in that game. I knew there was a guard that struggled. Um, but yeah, Durant went for 30 in that game. I think Durant, I think he had 30, like in an, it was a crazy run of 30 point games there at the end. But I've never seen an 18, 19 year old be able to shoot the ball off the dribble at that size in my life. Yeah. Like, I don't, I, we well, he's like Dylan DeZoo. He was a late bloomer. So he was a guard until he was 15. He could handle, he had great handle. And then he shot up, you know, late. And so he had, here he is, the 6'10, 6'11 kid with great handle. Yeah. He's, he's one of the best ball handlers of all time. And if you want to talk about like pound for pound and his size, like he might be the best ball handler at 6'10 and up. Like it's just on a string. He doesn't do it as much now that he's, you know, around 35, 34. But go back and watch that Thunder film. Like I saw a clip yesterday on 2014 against the Warriors where he dropped 54 points. Oh my gosh. Like that dude was still so special, but man, those Thunder days where he was crossing guys over and hitting step backs and dunking on people, just I again, I might be biased. He's a top ten player for all time for me. Like I say, what you want about the Warriors days? Call him soft, whatever. You know, Charles Barkley loves to say he's not the bus driver; he's the bus rider. I don't give a damn. I'm just talking about hoop and what you see on the court. Like, he was the MVP of those Warriors teams. I know it was Steph Curry's team, but he was the MVP. This dude, Durant, is a top 10 player of all time. I know there's Bird. I know there's all those guys that have, you know, Elgin Baylor. People want to bring his name up and stuff, man. If you were playing against milkmen and truck drivers and stuff, we ain't counting that as much around here. Like we, we ain't counting that. Guys were working in the steel mill, having black lung and shit, smoking cigarettes during halftime and after the game. We can't count that. We can't count that. So, yeah, Durant, he deserves his flowers. And shout out to KD keeping those fans in the game, too. Like when they lady and oh boy called him a bitch and stuff, and KD went to check him, a lot of people would have thrown them out. KD just wanted to check him. The dude completely changed his energy. Once KD came about, and KD said, you know what? Keep them here. They pay good money for these seats. Keep them here. But you're not going to disrespect me. And I marvel that. I do. Well, let's get to the right call. Let's get it. But it's not the right call today because we got to preview Texas basketball with the Big Hat Spirits Zay Player of the Game prediction. But before all that, shout out to Covert BK, the Covert Automotive Dealership. They've been serving the greater Austin area for 
over a hundred years. They're tired of you being in those hoopties, man. They're tired of you with the smoke coming out the hood and just different check engine lights and lights that you'll never even seen before. Like when you're thinking, oh, they make it up lights that just pop up, you know, in the rear. No, nah, man, they're not making that up. Just go get a change. Covert B Cave, they want to help with that change because they provide customers with a high quality selection of new and pre-owned vehicles, the outstanding customer service, the satisfaction is always there. You're going to find what you want at the beautiful Hill Country location, Covert B Cave. Seven terrific brands to choose from, Dodge, Chrysler, GMC, Cadillac, Buick, Jeep, and Ram. CovertBCave.com for all your latest specials and inventory. Check that out. Nobody beats a Covert deal. Not now, not ever. No right call today. It's time for Zay's player of the game prediction brought to you by Big Hat Spirit. Yeah, man, we're well into February, but if you're still on that dry January kick, hey, good for you, and you should be treating yourself to a Big Hat Spirit margarita mocktail that is at your local HEB right now. All the flavors of a margarita, but no alcohol. Beautiful mocktail, 50 calories of just perfect refreshment, zero alcohol. Again, kombucha, that's been popping all year. That's been popping these last few years. Hey, kombucha sparkling water, that's where it's at. The real fruits and spices. You get the lime-like salt. You get the chili on the side to put on the rim. Just a terrific experience, and it's damn tasty. I got a few in the fridge. We'll crack one open tomorrow for the game at 5 o'clock. Go to BigHatSpirits.com for all your latest info or head to H-E-B right now and get yours today. All right, Chip, for Zay's Big Hat Spirits player of the game prediction, I am going with Kendall Weaver. We need Kendall Weaver to have a huge game against those Jayhawks, man. His matchup is either going to be Kevin McCuller or it's going to be Dewan Harris. I don't know which one. I think it depends on how the game plays out. Both of those guys, McCuller and Harris, love the ball in their hands. And that team goes as far as Dewan Harris goes. When he has a great game, it looks like a team that could get to the Final Four. When he struggles, it looks like a team that could lose first round. I don't trust Kansas. In March, it's going to be very hard to trust them just because the lack of depth. You know, they only play five guys, 35 plus minutes. Everybody else, nah, man, you're not going to get on the court for Bill Self's team. He doesn't trust those guys. And we kind of talked about it a little while ago, former Texas Longhorn and transferred to Kansas, Arterio Morris, kind of screwed them over with all the trouble that he had off the court. They were really banking on him to come in and be a starter and be a huge addition. So he gets in trouble and now Bill Self's only good with five, but that five is damn good. You know, Dewan Harris, he was part of that national championship team. I do think if it wasn't for Remy Martin, that team would have won the championship of Christian Brown, no shy Abaji, but he was the head man on that squad. He deserves his flowers. Again, when he plays well, they are a good team. Kendall Weaver, if that's your matchup, you cannot let him play make. You want him shooting. You want Dewan Harris looking for a shot because he doesn't want to look for a shot. He wants to get to the paint. He wants to throw lobs to KJ Adams. He wants to make those nice drop dishes for Hunter Dickerson, and which Hunter Dickerson, he's going to be a problem tomorrow. But, hey, Dewan Harris, he's the one that makes him go. If Kendall Weaver's assignment is on Kevin McCuller, then you got to try to take him out the game as much as possible. That's a five-year player 
while the time at Texas Tech with Chris Beard, and then he went to Kansas. Now he's playing for Bill Self, and uh, after Jamal Shedd, he's probably be picked for Big 12 Player of the Year. The dude can shoot it. The dude's playmaking is good. He's a top-notch defender. Kevin McCullough is a very good player, and now he's getting more and more healthy. He looked really good against Oklahoma, where they won by 10 the other night. So, yeah, Kendall Weaver – Hey, man, we know that he brings it. It starts defensively. You heard my pops talk about it. He kind of – he definitely initiates the defense and makes them go. But, yeah, man, I – Tomorrow, I'm a little nervous. Every time you go to Allen Fieldhouse, you feel like the refs are acting different. They're not giving you the calls and stuff. And you just – all the pageantry that's around, you just kind of get caught up in it. And if you're an opposing team, that kills you. You know, those fans are right on top, like you just said, Chip. And, yeah, if you allow those fans to really get going and make an impact, then it could be a long day for the Longhorns tomorrow. But you know they're going to be pushing out on Max Acemas. Dewan Harris is going to try to take that three away from him. Hopefully Max Acemas could get back into a groove. Tyrese Hunter, he has to play with that effort that he did against Kansas State, even though he didn't shoot the ball well. Just play tough, man. Whoever in the week. Weaver doesn't guard, whether it's Harris or McCullough, excuse me, which I think it's going to be more McCullough. I can't see Tyrese Hunter on him. I, I could see yeah, Hunter, Hunter defended Dewan Harris in the Big 12 championship game yeah. last year. Yeah, he did. So that's probably going to be the matchup. And he's defended them these last few years, even going back to Iowa State. He guarded Dewan Harris. So he knows. And, and last year, well. last year, Kansas was 21 and 0 going into that game when Dewan Harris scored six points. And they kept him from scoring his sixth point until Texas was up 18. They won the game by 20. Yeah. Hey, he's what makes them go, man. Like, if he's scoring, I don't really worry about that. It's when he's scoring and getting guys involved. It's when he's getting steals, and which leads to fast break layups and stuff because he's out here dishing that thing with his passes and stuff. Like, you can't allow that Dewan Harris to get going. Make him shoot. If he has an open three and hits it, hey, so be it. But – you don't want guys like Furphy going off from three or McCullough going off from three or Hunter Dickerson getting anything he wants inside. I think if you're guarding Dewan Harris, whoever that is, and Hunter Dickerson gets the ball, that man needs to be in position to help. You know, you never want he, – he does a good job at finding guys when the double comes, but if your man is – you know, the ball is swung to him and it's Dewan Harris, don't run out to him jumping for a contest. Let that ride. Let him shoot that. We'll, we'll take it. Even though he's shooting 47% from three, he's only averaging eight. He doesn't want to shoot it. <laughs> like, if I'm shooting 47% from three, I'm taking at least 10 per game. At least. You know, DeJuan Harris is shooting 47% from three, and he's only averaging eight points. He doesn't want to shoot the ball. He's an old-school type point guard. If you take him out, I like Texas chances. A huge matchup tomorrow also, Chip, is – um, Dylan Mitchell versus KJ Adams. That's a big time athletic freak matchup. And KJ 
Westlake alum, he's just so strong and physical. Him and Hunter Dickerson are really good in the high-low game where, you know, KJ will catch it around the free-throw line elbow spot, and Hunter Dickerson will seal off his man, and KJ makes a really soft pass over the top, and that's a layup. Like, they get that all the time. You can't let that happen. If you're Dylan Mitchell, you got to close off those windows so he can't make those easy feeds. And Dylan Mitchell, offensively, you got to go at KJ. KJ, you know, you can't allow KJ to when the pick and roll is set for him to get out there on Ace Miss and Dewan uh, Harris, both of those guys double team and blitz him. Once the ball's in your hands, Kendall Weaver, Dylan Mitchell, you have to attack and then see what's out there. And if you're Dylan DeSue, Hunter Dickerson, we're breaking your ass out. You come yeah. guard this on the perimeter. We're not going to try to be down low, swinging elbows like Bill Lambeard and shit. No, that's not what's going to happen. We're bringing you outside. We might take a little step past the three-point line. Dylan DeSue has that range, and we're going to dance out there because Hunter Dickerson, he wants to clog that paint up and get blocks and control everything defensively. We shouldn't let him do that. Dylan DeSue, you'll probably see him on the perimeter way more than you'll see him down low. And, yeah, Texas has a chance, but, again, Lawrence, Tough place to play, always will be, always has been. We'll see what happens tomorrow. And obviously they have the better coach. So I love Coach Terry, but that Bill Self guy is pretty damn good, you know. And I think last year if he didn't get sick, then that team, they had way higher aspirations than losing that second game round of 32. Yeah, that was uh, that was an impressive performance from Texas. And Dazoo, you know, Dazoo got hot in that Big 12 tournament and then turned it up. You know, I think he averaged like 14 and 8 in the Big 12 tournament, and then he's averaging 22 and 10 in the NCAA tournament. And then he, you know, suffered the foot injury that he would ultimately have surgery to repair. Um, so, yeah, this uh, this is a – you know, bring your own guts game. They didn't bring it to the Vertita Center, and they sure as hell better bring it tomorrow. Yeah. Well, how you doing? I don't even know if they showed up to the Vertita Center. I was there for two and a half hours. I'm not sure I saw a Longhorn jersey. (laughs) I like to think Houston's just that good. Like, it's going to be hard for me to not – put them as my winner for it all in my bracket. You know, I don't know if I'm biased just for watching them the whole year of the big 12, but I saw Purdue go down the other night. I saw UConn go down the other night and I like both of those teams, but man, Houston, just what Jamal said, they got the best point guard in the nation and that might be what takes them over the hump, you know? Just like you guys were saying about Kansas also, it is so hard to win there. A 19-game home winning streak for Houston now. 18-game home winning streak for Kansas as <clears throat> as Texas gets set to head in there tomorrow. So, <laughs> not exactly. You know, Big 12 schedule makers didn't exactly do him any favors with the end of this year. Although they they get some of the easier teams at home, I guess that helps. But man, those back-to-back Saturdays with with those two games on the road is about as brutal as it gets in this conference. Yeah. yeah. Well, boys. Have a great show. See and, you, fellas. Uh, and a great weekend.